This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the seventh episode of the first season. And Marty, I just have to put a disclaimer at the beginning. I am being destroyed right now by my allergies, so I'm a little congested. You may hear that in my voice if you haven't already. We uh, we we had a Zoom call earlier this morning, Brent, and... Um... When you first got on, I was like, oh, Brent's allergies aren't so bad. And then I saw you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, look at Brent's face. He is not feeling good today at all. Yeah, I am not. I'm not a sight to behold at this moment. Whew, it did not look fun. My kids used to have a book uh, called The Pout Pout Fish with the pout pout face. And he spreads his dreary wearies all over the place. <laughs> and I thought Brent looks like... He has spent time with the pout pout fish. <laughs> Should I add that book to the show notes? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it is a great book. It even came with a little stuffed animal. But uh, I don't know if it's show note worthy. I'll let you make that decision. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll check it out. A surprising a surprising uh, difference in links for for this episode. Nobody saw that one coming. <laughs> I wouldn't say there's probably too much spiritual value in that book. I'd have to go back and think about it some more, but there you go. Yeah, I heard everything's spiritual. Everything is spiritual. It's so true. All right, well, uh, let's uh, fire that spoiler horn and, and get right into this episode then. Episode 7, here we go. So we start off in the Sinai Peninsula in the 13th century, and uh, and we see... Moses in a tent. We don't know it's Moses right away, but Joshua comes in, starts giving this report, and we see that Moses is hammering out this bronze snake, and uh, he puts it up on a pole, uh, reference to Numbers 21, and Joshua's like, look, it doesn't make any sense uh, to do this, and Moses like, it's not about, it's not about reasoning it, it's about the faith of it. And uh, yeah, so I, th- I think there's probably some interesting things to pull out of that little scene you know i could i just i watched it and i was like oh is that what it's about is that and i can't you know and we did our i can't remember even how much we touched on it if at all in our podcast uh content brent but i'm just I, i i couldn't figure out like i thought i hated it and then i was like like the scene like i was like oh that's not what that is and then i (laughs) Then I was like, but I really don't have, like, it is one of those, especially the John 3, which, you know, spoiler alert, that's where this is headed. The John 3 connection to, like, I try to I try to interact with that passage in Numbers without John in mind. Like, I try to not let the New Testament interpret my Old Testament. I think that's where we get so much trouble. But kind of like the whole time, like, I know that what I'm going to do is check it against John 3 to see if whatever I'm doing with numbers works in John 3. And to be honest, it's still one of those passages that's just so confounding to me. Um, and I would say I, I actually do share a lot of the, um, what would you call it, a lot of the intentions here with what they're communicating in this scene. I wouldn't say they're, like, totally off base. I'm not sure I love it. But I'm not sure I have any argument that's better. It's such a weird story, isn't it? Is it a weird story, Brent? Uh, I think so. And as far as whether we've covered before, I'm not sure if we actually talked about Numbers 21 in the podcast. They do make reference uh, to Meribah, the waters of Meribah. Yeah, yeah. And we certainly covered that. Yeah, and I think one of the things I always thought was Adonai Nasi, the Lord is my banner, which actually shows up 
um, with Moses holding his hands up and his staff. And I, I think we talked about that, the whole idea of the flag represents what's behind it. The flag marks the way uh, to what lies behind it. And so one of the things I've always kind of done with this story is they put the bronze snake on the pole as kind of like a banner to point towards the one from whom the healing is going to come. So behind the banner, behind the bronze snake, um, in this case hanging on a cross, which I thought was a clever touch, um, Behind that sits God, the God, the God of, of heaven, the God most high, Adonai, and he's the one that's going to provide. So that's kind of what I've always done, but that's not really in the text, and there's so many things you want to do poetically with this that I don't know if it's warranted exegetically. I'm not even sure if it's good eisegesis, let alone exegesis, but like to be able to look at your the thing you're most ashamed of is the point of this lesson to be able to to look at the thing that you're most ashamed of, to to look at the thing that that plagues you square in the face. Uh, I'm just not sure that's a good exegetical proposition. But anyway, I, I I liked what they did here with the whole. You know, it's not about reason. It's about it's about faith. Is that what John three is doing? Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I I I like it. I I, I think. It's just one of those weird stories. Weird story. And then, of course, on the surface, we have the the time element, the 13th century, which some people are going to argue about uh, the exact date of what's happening there. I think um, this puts it on the, the later side of things. Could be maybe a couple hundred years earlier than that. Could be. I was a little shocked to see that. Yeah, I, I was shocked to see that because I think that's probably better scholarship i would probably agree with that uh not to say that but i think i would um and so i i, I but i was a little surprised to see 13th century bc i thought that was interesting bold move the other element of time is uh the actor playing moses um seems a little bit younger than 80 plus <laughs> i would think so he did and beardless and we all know that right Moses had a beard yes all right, all right, all right. As long as we know that. But I do wonder if we'll end up seeing this actor again later um, in, a, in a later season for um, perhaps some transfigurative moments. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Brent, I like where you're headed. I like where your mind's at. Uh, I would be shocked if they don't put that into an episode at some point. Um, however, I do wonder, like, are they going to get this actor who had like a, you know, a one day shoot for this tiny scene at the beginning of an episode like five years ago are they going to be able to get that actor back <laughs> so who knows if it'll work let's out hope but so. let's hope so hopefully when we see him we'll be like oh there's moses right there yep that's right so um then moving on to the episode we, we've got the credits right after that We see Matthew getting ready for the day. Um, we see a, a bit more of his routine, I think, than maybe we normally do. He seems to be like really considering everything he's doing. Um, he's going through his closet, picking out an outer garment, picking his ring, putting on some cologne and, and picking out some sandals. So it's like, I mean, we did kind of see him go through this process in an earlier episode, but that was like... Hey, look at Matthew. Here's how rich he is. And this time it felt like there was something more going on. You kind of felt some 
maybe some inner turmoil in Matthew, perhaps. Yeah, he was a little less at home. He was, uh, yeah, yeah. He, um, you could see his anxiety, his OCD, whatever they're doing there with his condition. You, you, you but you, his this whole episode's going to circle around his growing angst, uh, where he's planted his feet as far as the whole reason and faith thing. And I like what they're doing. So then he steps outside and Gaius surprises him there. And you, you know, Matthew is like, well, you got promoted. And uh, he's like, no, you still need an escort. They're kind of discussing how things went over with Quintus. And, and Gaius is like, man, I, I can't believe you just did that. I can't believe you didn't expect to die. He's like, ah, you know, I was just telling the truth, whatever. Um, I think probably exactly how we how we saw it as we were viewing it in the last episode. Uh, so then we go to Nicodemus and he's looking at an hourglass and Zohara comes in and they're like, Hey, we got this new grandson came a month early, but everything's fine. And she starts packing up and Nicodemus is like, Whoa, whoa we're not done here yet. And she's like, well, we got to go for the circumcision. We've got less than eight days to get there. He's like, nah, anybody can do that. It's, it's the, she's like, it's a new grandson. He's like, it's the fifth grandson. They'll understand. It's like, oh man, that poor kid getting the, <laughs> getting the, uh, short shrift from his grandpa. Of course, it depends on where the family goes. You know, if the family ends up becoming the Nicodemus who follows Jesus and the family comes with him. What a great story. Grandpa missed my brisk to go meet Yeshua. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What a what a story to tell, really. Yeah. If you if you can pull it off. Um, so Zohara's, you know, pleading with him and he's like, "Now look, this is this is where I need to be." And then at that point Quintus barges in and uh he's he's there to find out like is there going to be any trouble with Jesus or are we going to have any problems with this guy? And Nicodemus is like, "Look, it's all rumors and anecdotes. There's not going to be any trouble, whatever." And uh, Quintus essentially is uh, pressuring him to meet with Jesus, uh, not knowing, I think, that Nicodemus had already um, worked towards making a meeting happen. And Quintus is like, "You well, whenever you do it, you got to tell me when and where you're going to be, um, which I think that Nicodemus doesn't ever say that because there are no Roman soldiers around when, when that meeting happens, as far as we know. So then... Uh, Quintus leaves, and then Zohara kind of confronts Nicodemus. He's like, you're, you're sympathizing with, with this Jesus character, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, my notes are just, I, I'm, I'm impressed with how they are able to use dialogue to represent, like that just really represented, I love the, all the tensions, political tensions, where it's, it's imperial political tensions with Rome, or the religious political tensions of uh, Pharisee and just Judaism as a whole, and, and yet these they they use they use dramatic dialogue in a way that's just like no way rooted in any historicity, and yet they use it to really portray things that are very historical. I just love how they have been able to do walk that line well. Uh, I've just been impressed by that. I like it. And Quintus talks about things like I hate crowds. They take time and resources, and then cleanup is a pain. Like, okay, because when there is a crowd, like you can't necessarily control them as easily as individual people. If you've got a single person causing some kind of trouble, you can bring four or five soldiers around them and take care of the situation pretty quickly. But when it's a crowd, all of a sudden things are a little bit trickier. Things are a little bit riskier. 
more can happen. More is unknown. So right. even, even that simple idea of people being interested in what Jesus has to say and gathering around him in a large crowd, that makes Rome uncomfortable. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So then we see the disciples setting up for the evening. Um, Jesus uh, tells Thaddeus to get food for five days and he had been talking to John and, and John was like, well, wait a second. I thought we were going to be here very long. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, we're not, but we want to leave some food for the next travelers. So it's just like this, this whole different lifestyle that, that all the disciples are getting used to like, Hey, we're, we're not doing things only for ourselves. We're, we're being generous to people. We're, we're making sure the other travelers who don't have a place to stay are at least taken care of for food. And then Mary shows up and she, she pulls Jesus aside and she's like, look, I'm sorry for what happened with the guy coming through the roof. I didn't know that was all going to happen. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. Like you did the right thing. Like, look at them. They were, they were going to get through one way or the other, whether you helped or not. And how do you know that I wasn't done with what I was saying? So don't worry about it. She's like, okay, okay. So then she tells him about Nicodemus and, uh, Jesus is like, well, I have heard of him. And Jesus asks her opinion of him, and, and she says, you know, he, he does seem earnest, like he seems sincere. I don't think he's trying to do anything or whatever. He's like, okay, we'll send word. We'll set up a meeting. And then Jesus goes back to the other disciples, and he's like, look, we got plans for a dinner party tomorrow night. And, uh, or no, he says this to Mary, uh, that they have plans for a dinner party tomorrow night and to start spreading the word for that party. Right, and then and then... And then he goes to walk off at the end of this, and she says, "Like, where are you going?" He's like, "Well, I've got to go. You know, I got to go pray," which I loved. I loved that little. And then, and then she says, "I'll pray too. I hope I haven't put you in danger." And he says, "No." And the thing that I have in my notes is throughout this entire conversation and others that have already happened in the series and will continue to happen throughout the series, um, just Jesus. Uh, the Jesus character here has just full trust, like we would say trust in the story, like full trust, no anxiety, like things happened the way that they happened. Like a, a, a paralytic showed up and it was what it was. And I had a lesson and material and I was done apparently. And this Pharisee wants to meet with me and okay. And there's just like no working up of him. And yet it's done again. I feel just like that's very like that would legitimately be a very human natural. It's like sometimes when I feel like I've watched other cinematic productions of the life of Christ in, in other forms, like Jesus is always like so barely human. Like he's got the, you know, the beauty pageant sash and the perfect hair and like his demeanor is just so like, otherworldly that you're like okay but this one is just like no i could absolutely legitimately see human rabbi jesus having this kind of like fully present trust faith faithfulness in the story without having to there's just no like he doesn't oh gosh what am i there's just none of that it's just no it is what it is and this is what god has for me it's what he had for me that night this is what god god has for me now and uh yeah i'm gonna go pray because i got some work ahead of me I, i just love his demeanor yeah absolutely so then we see matthew and he is going to visit his parents presumably uh his ema answers the door and she lets him in 
because his dad isn't actually there. She's like, look, if he was here, I, I wouldn't be able to let you in. So that's kind of some interesting uh, color to their relationship. And um, apparently his shop was robbed. And Matthew's like, well, look, I can I can offer you money. And uh, he's like, that's totally normal for, for kids to help out their parents or, or whatever. Like people help each other out. Like that's totally normal. And she's like, look, Alpheus, his dad, he would sooner die than take any of your blood money. He's like, okay, whatever. He kind of shrugs that off and says, gets gets to his point, why he's there. He's like, do you think that impossible things can happen? That overturn the laws of nature? That cannot be explained. They go back and forth on that a little bit. And then she's like, look, I think you should probably leave. Uh, you didn't even ask about your sister. And then he, he shares how, um, and we saw this a few episodes ago, how he had stopped by their house for Shabbat and uh, never ended up coming in. So he knows that she's okay. Yeah. And uh, again, the angst that they're building inside of Matthew, um, this uneasiness, the, the last line of the last scene with Matthew in it, with um, with Gaius, uh, the last line, Gaius says, your brains have taken you far. Um, and Matthew's response to close the scene is, I thought they had two. Um, oh, yeah. And you can see this like... They're really building up for what will be that closing scene of the episode. But every time you encounter Matthew, just all this angst of internal angst, which then becomes, uh, here in a little bit, it's going to become external angst. I like the buildup of who Matthew is, what he's wrestling with, and, and who he's becoming. So I love it. So then we are at Simon and Eden's house, and Jesus is helping prepare food with Eden. Simon is talking about... Uh, the meeting with Nicodemus, how risky it is to do this. And Jesus is like, look, you know, Mary vouches for the guy. She's an excellent judge of character. You have to trust her instincts and mine. So Andrew pulls Jesus aside for a moment. And, and then we have this conversation with Simon and he's talking about how he doesn't want to distract Jesus with Eden's emo because she's coughing and all this stuff. And, and he doesn't uh, want Jesus to be concerned about that. And Eden's like, look, you, you can't like, you, you can't control what Jesus thinks of you. He's already chosen you. He's not going to abandon you. So Simon's just kind of struggling with that whole situation. And then, um, then we see that Andrew, we, we go back over to Jesus and Andrew and he's made arrangements for the meeting with Nicodemus. Uh, he's got a cloak for Jesus to, uh, to kind of hide his identity. And they're going to go sneak over to this guy's house at night. And, She's like, well, look, just remember, Nicodemus is our guest. You don't have to protect me from him. Like, we need to be hospitable to him. And so then, uh, then as they're leaving, Jesus tells Simon to to stay there at the house and help with the email. So then we get to the big scene. Andrew welcomes Nicodemus and says that Jesus is waiting. And um, they go upstairs, and they're on this roof, and... Jesus talks about, you know, we asked, we asked the guys for more lanterns, but they thought it would draw too much attention. And, and Nicodemus is like, yeah, that's understandable. And Jesus kind of, kind of ponders off into the distance that humans have always been drawn to the light and you can't really control what you're drawn to. And Nicodemus is like, yeah, there's, there's lots of things that you can't really explain like that. And so then they sit down and, uh, Nicodemus starts with his questions and Jesus is like, well, what, what is your conclusion about this? And Nicodemus says, I believe 
You are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. So, Marty, something happened here in this scene that, uh, in the way that they filmed it, that was a little bit weird and jarring. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it happens at this moment. I don't believe I, I don't believe I did. I, I absolutely loved the scene. So don't you dare ruin, ruin one of my climactic scenes of the whole season. Brent Billings, be very careful what you do to me here. <laughs> so there's this thing called the 180 degree line. And you basically want your camera to be on the same side of that line the whole time. And you can set that line in different places, but it needs to be there. You know, it, it helps you orient yourself in the scene. So up to this point, Jesus has been on the left side of the frame and Nicodemus was on the right. And then all of a sudden the camera cuts and now Jesus is on the right. Yes, I do remember that. The 360 shot as it, it kind of does a circle around Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, and it does stop. It's not a continuous circle. Right. It, it which would have changed everything, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a way to yes. probably use the 180 degree rule and do a complete circle. But they actually break the film, the shot, so that the next time you come back, you're on the other side of the table. Yeah, if you are going to cross the line, you basically need to cross the line during a shot. And there's some other ways to do it too, but in general, like they should have continued their circle and gone all the way around. So we, as the viewers are oriented in the shot, but as they edited it, it was just Jesus on the left and then cut Jesus on the right. And so it's a little jarring. So at this point, Jesus is talking about the kingdom and how he's uh, doing that. And people must be born again to see it. And then the camera is moving around and it's about to pass behind Jesus, uh -huh. but it doesn't actually pass behind him. And then it cuts again. And now Jesus is back on the left. <laughs> so now we're back to where we should be, but it's just like, man, why? So there's, there's a couple of things. I don't know if when they were filming this, they really liked the idea of the circle and maybe they originally thought we're going to film this in one long take and we're just going to have the camera circle around them the whole time. And so maybe they tried that and they couldn't get the timing right to have the camera on Nicodemus and the camera on Jesus at the appropriate moments when they really wanted to see either one of their expressions. Maybe it was like that, but now they have all this footage. So then they get in the editing room and, and there's absolutely no way that the cinematographer doesn't know about this rule. Like he would have explained this to the director at the time. Like, look, you can do whatever you want, but this is how it works. You're going to cause problems for yourself in editing and the editor, same thing. The editor would absolutely know about this and would cut this together and say, well, look, here's our problem. And so maybe it's like, well, we got it on this take and we didn't get it on this one. So we have to use this footage or uh, there's lots of different ways that could happen there's no way they didn't realize this as they were putting it together and they chose to do it anyway. So I don't know, like it doesn't necessarily bother everyone. And 
probably a lot of the people who were bothered by it wouldn't be able to tell you why they were bothered by it. But that's what was going on in the middle of the scene for me. Well, I have two things to say. Number one, I wasn't bothered by it. And therefore, it won't ruin the way that I love this scene. <laughs> Second good. of all, good to hear. ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have Brent Billings on the podcast. Right here, this kind of knowledge of technical know-how, this kind of expertise, this is what, this is what Brent is just so good at. And I appreciate it so much. And, and honestly, like making movies is really hard. And sometimes you have things that happen like this and you're like, oh, no, all of our coverage for this for this set of lines like didn't work out. And and now everybody's like gone on and they're, they're working on the jobs. We can't bring everybody back to reshoot this. And all we have are these shots where we circled around behind them and we have to cut it in that way. Like sometimes that stuff happens and you just got to. You just got to make those decisions and say, well, we can't scrap the whole scene and we can't scrap that portion of the conversation. So we have to use this like uh, it just happens sometimes. So I give him grace. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe we could just say, like, do you know where the wind goes? Do you know where Jesus is going to be on the left or on the right? You don't know. You can only see <laughs> You can only well, see Jesus and the effects of Jesus. And I was trying to figure that out. Like, are they are they intentionally trying to make us feel uncomfortable? Uh and have that like line up with the conversation somehow. I don't think that's actually what happened, but uh, I don't think you know. so. I'd be giving him too much credit, I think. So then Nicodemus um, gives his famous line, like, look, I can't return to my mother's womb. And he even adds some, some color to it. He says that, you know, my mother, rest, may she rest in peace. She's dead. I can't go back in her womb. So it's almost like he, he believed he would have believed that it was possible if she hadn't been dead, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I love how they're doing that with Nicodemus. Like he's, He's more ready to jettison um, reason. Like, he's like, no, I get it. There's things I don't understand. And I like how that's where he's at in this whole thing. And the real tension is going to come up here in a few lines about the practicality of life, not the logic and the reason of the theology, but all the other stuff that gets in the way, which is where I start getting super uncomfortable because Nicodemus is one of the characters that in so many ways uh, throughout this season is the one that I connect with in so many ways the most. And uh, the tension that he lives with and wrestles with is so much the tension that I feel like uh, I wrestle with in most of my life in ministry. But very much appreciate that. Yeah. So then Jesus goes into talking about um, the ideas of flesh and spirit. And at this point, he touches Nicodemus's hands and then touches his heart, uh, which I thought was really appropriate. Like, it seems like the kind of thing that like a, a rabbi in general is going to be very like hands on with stuff is going to point to stuff that are actually there. So for him to like be more interactive in the conversation makes total sense to me. More interactive, more intimate. Um, I mean, you like nobody would have typically done that with a Pharisee, but Nicodemus isn't there on like, he's not in his garb. That's not why he's there. Jesus doesn't care. Like so many things there that that interaction is very, um, it's, it's not just a passing interaction. It's actually packed with meaning. I agree. Yeah. So then, then we do have that moment where the wind kind of picks up and Jesus asks Nicodemus about the wind. And then here we have another instance, the camera cuts, with Jesus on the right. And then the camera's swooping around and it's about to pass behind Jesus, but then it cuts and Jesus is back on the left. So that all happens in the middle of that moment. Um, 
we got lots of lines there. Um, but in general, Nicodemus is just like, he concludes like, look, I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. And so they, they go over the Numbers 21 story. He's like, look, I came to deliver people from spiritual death. I'm not here to deliver people from Rome. Then we get your John 3.16 and 17 passages. Uh, and then we have this uh, probably maybe, well, uh, this whole scene is fantastic. But I love this moment. They cut over to the stairs and Andrew and John are sitting there listening in on the conversation. Yes. And Andrew's like, have you ever heard anything like this? And then we realize that John is writing and John shushes him. And keeps listening and keeps writing. It's like, oh, yes, this is how it would be. Absolutely. Like, yes, John is writing this. I would, if I was in the same position as him, I would absolutely be around the corner listening to every word, writing it down, whatever. So, yeah, I totally related to John in this moment. Yeah. Because I've had moments like this. Like, like I've been around when you're having a conversation with someone, I realize you know, whatever the topic is. And I'm like, Oh, and I just kind of like slide a little bit closer. And maybe I'm in the middle of another conversation, but I'm like trying to keep one ear on whatever you're talking about with this other group of people. So I totally related to that. Yeah. And I thought it was a very clever way to work in the whole authors of the gospels and how they're keeping their records. And season two will definitely do that. Spoiler alerts. Um, but, uh, it's going to keep going. I just love, and it's not overdone. It's not like, obnoxious it's just very clever placement of this is where they kept the record and and who knows if that if that's you know the historicity behind that but it's a clever way of imagining how it could have happened if that's how you're going to understand the writing of the gospels right so i really thought that was clever and we don't have definitive a definitive idea one way or the other on how this worked so we are just saying this is one, this is how it could have happened. Right. And there's, there's not, you know, there's not anything in the text to tell us one way or the other, whether it's right. And and we can't conclude that either, but uh, yeah, it's a great, great way to think about it. And I, I can totally believe that would, that would happen that way. Very believable. Yep. So then um, Nicodemus is recounting his side of the story of Mary being healed and, uh, talking about how like I went back and I told my wife and my students like there's she's beyond human help there's only God can save her at this point and then and then you show up and and look what happened and so Jesus asks Nicodemus to follow him um, he's like we're leaving in two days you should come with us and um, Nicodemus is like well I've got a lot of got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I got a lot of reasons to stay behind. I've got a family. I've got, you know, new grandson, which I'll, I guess he's not actually that concerned about <laughs> being around for, but, uh, you know, he's got his position. He's, he's a, an older guy. Like he's just got a lot of stuff going on. And Jesus is like, well, you know what? You have time to think about it. And the invitation's going to remain open. And, uh, he's like, look, you know, these, all of these mysteries, they're not easy for a scholar. Um, but meet me by the well in the southern quarter at dawn on the fifth day. And so I guess it's because he said they're leaving in two days, so they must be on the third day at this point. Fifth day of the month. I, I was a little bit confused by that. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. But either way, um, they, uh, they, Nicodemus makes a joke about um, feeling like he's on holy ground or at least holy roof. 
And uh, Nicodemus kneels down and kisses Jesus. Jesus is like, well, what are you doing? And uh, I think he, he quoted some scripture maybe at that point, but I wasn't sure what the reference was, if you happen to know what that was. Well, he, yeah, he quoted something about kissing the Son of Man while he's here. Um, kiss, it, kiss the Son while he's here so that you won't suffer the anger. Uh, like, I can't remember. Yeah, there was a quote there that he quotes. I should have looked it up and I forgot. But then, uh, so the scene ends there with uh, Nicodemus and, and Jesus in, in a very uh, friendly embrace. Yeah, super, uh, just a super powerful closing to the scene. Um, there was all these quotes in there. Uh, one of them, as they're talking about Moses and the bronze snake, um, uh, as I kind of unpack that, Nicodemus is like, okay, so you're not here for Rome. And the words are, oh, it's not about Rome, it's about sin. And I wish I would have probably chosen a better word than sin because of all the theological baggage. But he's picking up this like, oh, the thing that God is up to is about something much bigger than our political practical situation. It's about this bigger kingdom of of bigger freedom, bigger liberty, um, a bigger reality than political ones. I thought that was super good. Uh, at one point, Jesus tells him as he's wrestling with the practical nature, there's a lot you would lose, Nicodemus, but what you would gain. And he just kind of lets it hang. But what you would gain. My heart is swollen with fear and, and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. And I loved, I loved that line because that's, that's all he knows. Like, my heart doesn't tell me how to answer all these other riddles. My heart doesn't tell me how to... The only thing I know is that I'm standing... I'm somewhere special. I'm standing on holy ground. I'm standing with somebody. Um, I I like that. I like that. It's good. So then uh, we cut to Matthew at his booth, and he's kind of... uh, He's helping people, but he seems a little distracted, maybe. Gaius is talking, you know, to him. He's like, hey, did you see... This is my favorite line of the whole episode. He says, hey, did you see the uh, the races yesterday? Darius ran like a gazelle. And I'm like, yes, of course he did. <laughs> so I'm excited. Brent's, Brent's son is named Darius for all of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to show him this episode at some yeah. point. Love it. You see the Parthian foot races last night? Darius ran like a gazelle. Gaius brings up Simon and Matthew's like, look, I'm not friends with Simon. And, uh, guy says, well, you know, you, you've accomplished all this stuff. Your mother should be proud. It's, it's all pretty simple. And then Jesus walks by and Matthew looks up and sees him and Jesus kind of keeps going, but then he stops and turns around and he calls Matthew and he says, follow me. And Simon's like, hold on a second. <laughs> and guys is like, Hey, keep moving. We don't want to cause a scene here. Matthew walks out of the the booth and uh, Gaius tries to stop him and reason with him. And Matthew's like, look, uh, I'm willing to throw everything away. Absolutely. And he walks away. And then Simon asks Matthew, like, hey, why do you have that tablet? He's like, oh, I I don't know. I just didn't didn't think about it. I just have with me. And and Jesus tells Matthew, hey, there, there may be some use for that yet. So another another, you know, quiet reference to. Uh, Matthew being one of the the gospel authors, like, hey, you might have some things to write down, so hang on to that. 
And then they talk about the dinner party and, and Matthew is like, well, I'm not really welcome at dinner parties. And Jesus is like, well, that's not going to be a problem because you're hosting. That's the episode. Uh, I, I had a note I forgot to bring up when you were talking earlier. You're asking about the fifth day reference. Remember when Nicodemus, like we leave in two days, meet us on the morning of the fifth day? Oh, yeah. That That's how they would reference the week because they, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, those are all Greek pagan references to calendar. And so the days of the week for the Jewish world are first day, second day, the days of creation. And so the fifth day would be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday. So he'd be saying, meet us on Thursday morning at the well. We leave in Tuesday. In two days, meet us Thursday morning at the well. That would be the reference there. I see. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, to close out, I loved the line when when Peter is, Simon is really getting after Jesus. We can't call Matthew. Jesus is like, well, you thought it was crazy when I called you too. Peter says, yeah, but this is different. Love the line. Jesus turns to Peter. Get used to different. So great. Get used to different. Pretty sure they've made some shirts with that with that phrase on it too. Oh, really? With the the chosen yeah. people yeah. have? Get used to different. Ooh. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. I was about ready to say it'd make a good t shirt. Read my mind. <laughs> You're way ahead of you. <laughs> I think actually, I don't even know if they're still available. I haven't looked, uh, but it seems like maybe they were gonna phase out some of that stuff from from season one and start making new stuff for season two. So if you want that shirt, you better get it quick, I think. Better get it. Going like hotcakes. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, what else? I, I think that pretty much does it for this episode. I think that episode was pretty straightforward. I didn't have a ton of notes on that one. I just liked it. It was good. It was one of my favorite. Uh, I'm trying to decide if it was my favorite. Uh, it doesn't beat out the whole Sabbath. Uh, Mary. Like, what is that? Episode two. Dang, that was a good episode. Just one of the greatest cinematic pieces i have ever seen just so good sure second 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 favorite episode of the season i think well i am going to add a couple other things to the show notes i will um, put some stuff in there about the 180 degree line if anyone is interested uh in that and can can look into it and feel the pain with me <laughs> they they weren't until today and now now they you have made us more aware you have opened our eyes. Humans are drawn to the light, Brent. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode. If you want to get a hold of Marty on Twitter, you can find him at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at BamaDiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you next week for our conclusion of Season 1 of The Chosen.